Welcome to episode 12 of 90 Schmaltz, where two 90s guys do a belly flop on the shows we grew up watching. From after-school specials, TGIF, and Saturday morning cartoons. We talk about nostalgia, bad acting, and why these shows were radical. And we're going to say this other stuff now? I guess I could, we could always split this. That sounds great. On this podcast, we take our media topic and briefly cover production, cast, and filming. Then we watch and talk about the top-rated and bottom-rated episodes of the series. Then we might share some additional fun facts and even talk about related merchandise and toys before we rate the series out of 15. Our website is 90schmaltz.cool. That's 90-S-C-H-M-A-L-T-Z dot cool. Uh, you can reach us at 90schmaltz at gmail.com if you have any constructive or, you know, non-constructive criticisms. Yeah, whatever you got, uh, we'll take. And then uh, give us a rating on wherever you might listen to our podcast. Today we're talking about Star Trek Voyager. Uh, we are talking about Star Trek Voyager. And this, this is kind of like a really exciting episode because we've got a real great surprise coming. Yeah, it's a very special episode for us. Not only because we're finally covering Star Trek. But we have a guest. I didn't know if we were going to, we didn't talk about whether we were going to keep it a secret or not. And so, okay, great. We have a guest. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we could do a secret because I think we said last episode we were having a oh, really yeah. and we'll cool probably put it, guest. And we'll ours. probably put it in the description too. So it would be silly to be coy about it. But yeah, but we didn't talk about it. So I didn't know what we were doing. So I was just going to follow your lead there. Perfect. Uh, you got anything new going on from last episode? No, not really. Since the Halloween episode, I've been uh, similar, similar health, reasonably okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm happy to hear Nothing that you to are report. better. Um, we got a puppy. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. She's a monster, but she is adorable. <laughs> Actually, as I'm talking, I can hear my wife fighting with her right now. We'll have to make sure that gets in there. <laughs> it's funny that... No! In the background. Yeah, it's like loud enough that my dynamic microphone is picking it up, yeah. so you know they're yelling at yeah, each yeah, other. She's mad. All right. Um, Star Trek Voyager... First aired on January 16th, 1995 on UPN, uh, running for 172 episodes over seven seasons until the season finale on May 23rd, 2001. It aired on Mondays for season one and two, and then moved to Wednesdays for seasons three through seven. Double-length episodes, like the pilot, were broadcast as two-hour shows for the series and uh, broken into two episodes for syndication. So for streaming, you'll see it. As, one as the single episode, yeah, which makes sense now, I guess. Uh, the series was a single-camera American science fiction television series based on Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. If anybody was curious where it came from. <laughs> Gene who? Star what? <laughs> we should mention that we recorded with the guest first and then did some more research. Uh, it may sound like we got stupider halfway through the episode, so please forgive us. Oh, yeah, we, we do have to work on that format a little bit with the guests. We were, this is our first go at that, and... Um, we have to do some scheduling. <laughs> we were having more fun than uh, uh, following a plan. So Star Trek Voyager was developed because with TNG ending, Paramount wanted to have two Star Treks going out at the same time. With Deep Space Nine, they wanted something else. And they also wanted something to be the flagship of their very cool new network, UPN. Uh, and this was aired on the first day of the network broadcast. This was like their flagship yeah, this thing. is really and, the, cool and it was the best the network did ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it wasn't a bad decision. So, Paramount's one of the big movie companies from way back when. It's been around forever. 
I mean, they made the original Star Trek back in the 60s. Like everyone else, they've been trying desperately to make the fourth network happen. The fourth network outside of ABC, CBS, and NBC. And in the 70s, they were trying to do a reboot of Star Trek called Star Trek Phase 2 that would be the flagship of their Paramount television service that never actually came together. So UPN is the spiritual successor of that plan. UPN and Voyager. Yeah. I mean, Paramount has been around for a long time. They've been... Yeah, they're one of the golden age of Hollywood. But UPN, and and as we talked about, I think, in the Seventh Heaven episode way back when, so I don't know how much it's worth going back to listen about that, but UPN and WB were trying to do this same thing. Uh, Warner Brothers and Paramount both wanted to make a fourth network, and they created their new semi-cable, semi-ultra-high-frequency over-the-air independent networks, because Fox hadn't quite yet become the the fourth network that it would become. And unfortunately for both of them, UPN and WB uh, started broadcasting within a week of each other. Uh, and it basically ensured that neither of them would succeed because they were kind of operating in the same market niche. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, they both did the same thing. Like we talked about with WB, they started out with kind of just one night of content. And as the years went on, they got more and more until they had a full uh, weekly programming block. In the end, the the fact that they were unable to compete because they operated the, in the same place led to them merging at some point and becoming the CW. Yeah, we'll see them a bunch going forward in for some of these series. I mean, there are a lot of things that showed yeah, up. Yeah, the, the fact that they had a whole network that they were trying to fill up with content. They showed all the Star Trek in syndication, essentially, but they had the two shows were, the two Star Trek shows were theirs, right? It was Voyager and then Enterprise? Yeah, those were UPN. Yeah specific because upn then ends towards the end of enterprise i don't remember where tng and deep space nine uh, broadcast but once we cover those we'll talk about it i i guess cbs but but i do know they were on legitimate network tv when i was looking through the tv guide for what else that we could be watching i found a really cool ad where it's got the upn logo it's the circle triangle and square in cool computer gradient cg in front of a space thing and it says the future of television takes shape january 16th oh yeah that's we're launching a new starship and a new network and it's got a the little voyager i can't tell who's in the circle in this but you can see chakotay and janeway in the in the other shapes and it's i'll use this on the instagram this time good yeah perfect they did a lot of work trying to promote voyager that i don't think I don't think they did as much with Deep Space Nine. They really wanted Voyager to be a success. Uh, it did a enormous media blitz. Yeah, they did. I remember a lot of stuff for this. That's a great segue. Do we remember it? Yeah. You remember watching it for I, what? I remember watching the preview in like at least the first three seasons. I know we got to Seven of Nine, and I think I stopped watching around then, which would have been season four, if I'm not mistaken. I can remember a lot of the older episodes, too. But like my, my dad was a next-generation person, and then... He would watch this one, and this one I remember watching with him in the evening yeah. more frequently than Next Generation. I can remember very specifically that one episode where the the alien gets on the ship or whatever it is, which is towards the end of the series. I remember just leaving UPN on at the beach house because it would just play Star Trek all day. Yeah, I don't remember UPN specifically, but l- looking through some of the old shows that they had on for their programming, I, I definitely watched plenty of it. Like WB, they had a fair bit of black programming. Yeah, the Dilbert cartoon is on there. But I know uh, Homeboys in Outer Space is one I, I want to cover. 
Oh, but and they like had, Moesha. They had Moesha, like Malcolm yeah. and Eddie, uh, a whole bunch of things that were... Uh, a lot of good stuff that yeah. we would have watched as kids, yeah. They had a ton of children's programming, too. Yeah. A lot of animated stuff that I, um, I'll be excited to talk about in the future. Jumanji. I never watched that. Beetleborgs. Beetlesborg. How about VHS? I know that you looked this one up yeah, this, this time. One's I'm going to give this one for you. This one's wild because I, I found a listing where someone's selling like, yeah, 50 tapes. There's 45 there if I count 15 times 3 plus 6. So he's just selling about 50 tapes. Oh, is this the listing that you posted for the link? I think it actually says on the right side they have 54 tapes in total. Incredible. So there's 54 tapes because Columbia House, which if you'll recall, was the 12 records for a penny or whatever. Yep. <laughs> you, would sign up, you would sign up for this thing and they'd send you just a strange collection of things. It's very much like an old media way of doing things. And so this was the Star Trek Voyager Collector's Edition. It's a VHS collection. Released by Columbia House, it includes every episode, typically two per tape, although if there was a two-parter, they would put them together, which meant they sometimes had three-episode tapes. And when you signed up, you were, sent a, you were sent a tape every four to six weeks, and you had ten days to return it if you didn't want to continue the subscription. But Dude, so it would take... That was so cool back in the day. You'd always catch those commercials, and you're like, I want that, but yeah. then you never did anything with it. Well, and, you, and your parents were like, no, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about like four years of waiting to get this whole thing on on VHS at that rate. Yeah, that's crazy. That's incredible. That's a lot of magnetic tape. Yeah, the Mercari listing I found they had so that they could actually keep track of it. They they've written the seasons and the episode numbers on the side because it has the titles, but they they actually wanted to know which which was which and which order it went in because there's no indication. Yeah, no indication of what order they go in. They are identical looking tape boxes. They've got that fun L cars kind of swoopy rounded computer. Yeah, uh, they look really thing to great. Them. They're they're a well done collection. It's a nice little product. I'm yeah. impressed. What else could we be watching? I I got a, this is a good one. Primetime Monday on. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff on this uh, this page you pulled out of the TV guide. Yeah, with the with the special two hour world premiere Star Trek Voyager ad on it. Prepare to go beyond too far. So there's in the TV guide, I, I found an entire article. So there's like 15 pages about Voyager. There's two full page ads about UPN at the very front of the magazine. There's this Star Trek Voyager in there. There's, I found at least two others. So like they were advertising the hell out of this thing. It's wild. Yeah. We got the Nanny, Fresh Prince, Melrose Place, Coach. With Craig T. Nelson. Uh, I, I guess they counter-programmed a Star Trek The Next Generation movie against it here. They got the two-part where Picard gets turned into the Borg. Uh, and, you know, there's really not much on the cable channels. Unsolved Mysteries. Nick, Nick's got Dream, I Dream of Genie yeah, on there. At, in 95, we're definitely fully into that Nick at Night institution. Because I remember around this time at the beach, my aunt would insist on watching I Love Lucy or whatever it was. Because there's Munsters Monday... Which we have, obviously we're not at here because there's I Dream of Genie on. And then I see um, Murder, She Wrote, too. So rest in peace, Angela. The, the movie on the Family Channel is Young Indiana Jones and the Treasure of the yeah. Peacock's Eye. That's one we could cover, too. Yeah, those are going to be fun. <laughs> at 8.30, we got Dave's World, the Dave Barry sitcom. I don't know that one. I, I enjoyed it at the time. I don't know how I feel about it now. And you got, then you got Blossom and a whole new ball game. Uh, yeah. A show that lasted six episodes because it got <laughs> it got blown out by Voyager. There's an ad for that uh, on the page I clipped on this too. Yeah, I, I do see that, and I have no idea what it is. And now I want to talk about it. Now, who made this thing? It was produced by Paramount Network Television, which is Paramount's 
television studio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have the created by on hand? Yep. Good. Created by Rick Berman, Michael Pillar, and Jelly, Jerry Taylor. And you know, it's based off of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Um, Rick Berman, Michael Pillar, they're like the showrunners here at this point. I think Jerry Taylor show runs for a bit too later, but um, Rick and Michael uh, write a bunch of episodes. And they worked on, you know, multiple Star Treks, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, among the few other things that they have going on. Uh, the music, Jerry Goldsmith for the title sequence. And then series music in general, we have uh, Dennis McCarthy and Jay Chataway. Um, they have 65 and 54 episodes between them. Uh, Dennis McCarthy worked on, I think, almost every Star Trek at some point. Good for him. Generations, <clears throat> Star Trek Enterprise, Next Generation, Voyager, Stargate SG-1 at some point. And then Jay Chataway is almost identical. Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Next Generation. Um, it's a good gig if you can get it. I feel like when you work on a Star Trek, you're going to work on all of the Star Treks. It's just kind of how it works. There was definitely a unity of musical style uh, between Next Gen, and I don't, I don't know for sure about uh, Enterprise, but I think Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all use music in very similar ways. And it's the one thing that like carries over uh, at the top level. Yeah. like You may get a weird episode, but the music always rings home and it's one of the things that was most apparent that the orville was trying to be a star trek the next generation is yes. it is that the way the the way it goes to commercial with the musical sting is exactly what they do in these three shows main cast captain Catherine janeway played by kate mulgrew we have her in a bunch of different stuff uh, the one thing we do want to mention because we both watch the episodes well the single episode uh, mrs columbo Miss columbo yeah Later called Kate Colombo, Kate the Detective, and Kate Loves a Mystery. I love that it's a downward spiral of titles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kate Loves a Mystery is such a bad name for a show. Uh, she's also uh, in Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. She, you know, reprises her role as Catherine Janeway in a few places. I'm not seeing a ton of, like, other super notable things. She does show up on Cheers. She's Janet Eldridge, which is a three-part. Um, Commander Chakotay, played by Robert Beltran. Who famously loved this series? He's come around on it, I guess. I we talk about it more later. He, I guess, has has started to make peace with it and and enjoy the cash cow. He's sixty acting credits in total. He appears in. Uh, he's more of a walk on in a lot of other things. I just downloaded a movie. One of his big ones was Eating Raul, where he plays Raul who gets eaten. Interesting. Yeah, uh, it's a comedy. It sounds interesting. I'll let you know how it is on a later podcast. Perfect. Lieutenant uh, Elena Torres. That's played by Roxanne Dawson. She's got 37 acting credits. I think she's best known from Voyager. But she does appear on Jake and the Fat Man. Oh, great. Lieutenant Tom Paris, played by Robert Duncan McNeil. The fun fact one for him was he's in Masters of the Universe. Oh, cool. Yeah, the movie. The movie, yeah. yeah. He's uh, Kevin Corrigan. Couldn't say uh, who he that... He appears on a episode of quantum leap he's in eight episodes of all my children there's a couple things in here i don't know what most of them are yeah, he's working definitely work i mean he's got 30 credits he, he comes and goes and uh, of those 30 credits one of them is star trek voyager which is 168 episodes yeah. so he's definitely working uh next neelix played by ethan phillips 
I think actually my favorite role of his is the the character he plays in Inside Lewin Davis because I love Inside Lewin Davis that Coen Brothers flick. I have not watched it, but it's um mundane, right? It just kind of like is. It's just you're experiencing the depression of this character. Um, but Neelix plays a a professor essentially. Okay. Um, that the guy uh, couch search, surfs on every once in a while. All right. Um, he also appears Boston Legal, Avenue Five, which is the HBO sci-fi flick, is the most current thing he's been in. Okay. He's got 145 credits in total overall. Um, the Doctor, played by Robert Picardo, 243 acting credits. Yeah, he's great. He works a lot with Joe Dante, uh, the Gremlins guy. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's just a lot of fun in this show in general. And we, we get him in a lot of things, including some voice acting. I believe he's, like, in Fallout 4. He's a delight. Always happy to see him. Stargate Atlantis, I remember him from that. Stargate SG-1, I remember him from that. Lieutenant Tuvok, played by Tim Russ. 183 acting credits. He's in a lot of Star Treks. He's in a lot of Star Trek. Because he shows up in, like, a movie. Because he shows up in Generations, and I think he shows up in Next Generation as a guest character. I could be misremembering. I know he shows up a couple times. Nope, he does. He's a next gen. Uh, he's a uh, Devor. I, I'm not, I don't either. I am not great at remembering Star Trek character names. That He was on the Highwaymen TV series from the 80s. Is that the one with the big giant weird truck? Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, got that, it's got an insane truck that we saw. Well, we, we didn't see because he didn't watch Rest of Nightman, but a remixed version of that shows up in an episode of Nightman. And that's cool. It's this insane concept semi- where you're like sitting in a car size thing and the truck's like on top of it. It's it's really stupid looking. Look up the highway man, it's funny. He's also shows up in an episode of uh Jake and the Fat Man, Twenty One Drum Street. He's a trooper in space balls. Yeah, that's a famous thing. He's the guy who uh, yells they when they're coming the desert. He's a yes, he's a guy he is. he's the guy who yells, <laughs> We ain't found shit. What about you guys? We ain't found shit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, and he actually shows up in some episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Great. Ensign Harry Kim, played by Garrett Want. That's 26 Wong? acting credits. Wong. Wow, I totally wrote Want. <laughs> Garrett, Garrett Want Eat. <laughs> uh, Ensign Harry Kim, played by Garrett Wong. Uh, he only has 26 acting credits. He's got a couple things, I think. When I look through his list, the one thing that stuck out to me is he plays Chinese Man on American Dad. That's funny. Which is just one episode. <laughs> uh, there was one more on there. Where is it? Uh, a super duper exotic, erotic, fetish, sexy, must-see story. A tragedy of oriental proportions. Um, and he plays Garrett Wong. All right. It's a short, but that name itself, like I know nothing about it, but that name I had to, to, to totally pull it up. It's a three middle-aged Asian American men work at a host bar where they sell their bodies for money. Came out in 2010. Interesting. Uh, moving on, we have oh, the Voyager computer, Majel Barrett. So the computer has always been Majel Barrett. Always. Confirmed. Before she died, they they did a bunch of uh, recordings. Well, while you look at that, I mean, she got the computer gig. She's Gene Roddenberry's yeah. wife. You can't even imagine somebody else being the voice of the computer at this point in time. She had recorded all phonetic sounds uh, so that they cool. could to basically make her computer forever. She has um, 75 actor credits, and I, I would have to think almost 
a quarter of them are Star Trek. She was in a ton of like walk-on stuff before Star Trek at the beginning. And then she's also Anna Watson in Spider-Man the Animated Series. She does actually show up as a single walk-on on Diagnosis Murder. Great. Um, in 1998. I might move Majel Barrett after Kesson. Because uh, you're, you're going by episodes, but as far as billing, I'm, I'm disagreeing with your order. So Seven and Nine, played by Jerry Ryan. She also, I mean, I feel like she's a, a quite the recognizable face after Voyager. Yeah. Because previous to Voyager, she shows up in a lot of stuff, but it's mostly like walk-on. I mean, we get Matlock. We get Murder, She Wrote. Uh, we get Diagnosis Murder. But then we get Voyager. And then everybody knows who Jerry Ryan is. Because after that, you know, it's the OC, Boston Public. Wow, I didn't even know she was on Two and a Half Men at some point. And then lastly, we have Kess, played by Scarlet Powers, which is not correct. No. Kess, played by Jennifer Lean, Len, Line. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say that, but one of those is probably true. And she has only 13 acting credits. Yeah, she had some she showed... uh, personal challenges, I understand. We get Voyager and then Men in Black, the series. Yeah. The TV series. The and... cartoon, I assume. Yes. Before Voyager, she's on Phenom, Another World, Duckman, Private Dick, Family Man. Oh, boy. <laughs> she's just like a walk-on yeah, movie actress or something like that. And then SLC Punk. Yeah, it's a movie. Yeah. Like, I, I understand that she had some uh, challenges as far as maybe mental health and law enforcement encounters. Oh, jeez. Well, I hope she found the help she needed and she's all right. Well, I mean, she hasn't been arrested since 2020, so. And she hasn't done any actress work since 2001. No. Uh, the, I mean, Voyager did win a bunch of awards. We can go through some of those. Yeah, we got it. This, is, is, this might be our most award-winning. Seven Emmy Awards with 34 nominations. Yep. And I've got them all. Jerry Goldsmith for the intro theme. Okay. The VFX for the pilot episode, Caretaker. The main one makeup for the infamous episode. There's the it's the salamander episode. Oh Fre yeah, threshold <laughs> where he, where he goes too fast and then he becomes a lizard man and then he abducts Janeway and then they have a alien lizard kids. Uh, they want makeup for that. Wow. Hairstyling for the season three episode Fair Trade. VFX for the season five episode Dark Frontier. And they want music comp composition and VFX for the last episode Endgame. Yep. And then they won a couple other different awards, including three Saturn awards. And I think for outstanding special musical effects for a series, um, two episodes of Voyager were put up for, nominated for that category. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk about our episodes and maybe introduce our guest? I have been thoroughly amused also by your... Um, Connecting people from days of our lives to Star Trek as well. <laughs> That's like my goal every time I do the casting research, which sometimes takes way longer than it should. Um, but I always have to find somebody who's in, in Star Trek at least. Well, you know, the summer I met John Delancey. Oh, yeah? Who was, you, who was also on days of our lives as the ever-lovable Eugene Bradford. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't have the the days of our lives knowledge to appreciate that 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 hard. Oh well, that's my other passion. So when you're ready for uh, Marlena getting possessed by the devil, you boys call me again. Okay. I don't know how well our format would fit a uh, a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> really? <I> mean, <laughs> you just watched 
two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the best and the worst of 900 plus episodes of a show. Listen, 50, 56 years it's been on. Oh, that's oh a lot. God. How many, I, I was just out of curiosity, how many seasons? Yeah, I'm looking that up right now. We're in season 58. Ugh. And I apologize. I was off by two. That's a rounding error at that point. So we sort of have a format for this, um, but you're going to help us make it what it is for the first time. Yeah, you're a beta tester. Oh, I I am the first guest. Yes. You are the first guest. We we did this on purpose. We wanted you to be the first guest. Guest of honor. Oh, well. (laughs) I promise not to say fuck. That's all I'm going to say. No, no, you should. We're we're an explicit podcast. We've labeled ourselves as not for children. Hey, I'm still a little nervous though. You know, and I mean, we're I only still have that mouth. And remember, if there's you don't... only like 20 people that you have a chance of uh, offending, and you're one of them. If you say something and you don't like it, you can just tell us to cut it because we do edit. Oh, oh, well then. Yeah, we do uh, kind of heavily edit. Which we're still bad at talking in the way that when you're we were editing, I'm like, why do I cram all my words into this pile? Uh, and we're no better at that, but we're at least better uh, at starting over again occasionally. Because editing really <laughs> helps you. Sounds like we know what we're doing. Yeah. If you listen to the um, summer rental one, though, we very lightly edited that. That's actually I mean, most of us just bantering back and forth. See, I like the banter. Yeah. That's what people seem to like. That's the, you got to go for that parasocial angle. I, I, I love that. But I also enjoy the, hey, we're behind. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. We're going to get to it. Yeah, that was, a, that was a rough month, August. This is a bad summer. And then, because yeah, I got, what, it was infected tonsils or yeah, something? something yeah. like that. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And I had the stomach bug. Jeff got COVID while doing his final. Yeah, I, I wrote my entire 13-page final. Um, with a 103 fever, basically. Oh, see, the crossman did prepare you for something. <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be a group project, too, and the, the girl like had something come up and could not do anything, so I essentially wrote it. And what, I think the best part of that is that I think the teacher realized, because she sent me an email like two weeks later asking, did she help you write any of that? And you're like, so, no, no. So she gave me like we worked on all the ideas we spent a good chunk of time together it just really was an unfortunate event and uh i guess being a single parent and not having any family to help you out with anything really uh makes things difficult understandably so i bit one for that and it's fine we got an a oh okay that's all that matters i wonder should we share uh, i guess we don't really need to share our notes we don't want to give you any information we just want you to talk to us yeah that's the point. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, 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 wow. Well, then this way, you'll have your own opinions. We'll surprise you with what we noticed. Okay. Hey, I'm ready. All right. Well, let's do it. Jeff and I don't share our episode notes with each other. Now, we watch things together a lot, but we don't yeah. ever share really that much insight. How do we pick the episodes we're watching today? Highest to lowest. Just like we always do. We use episoderatings.com. And before we even get into the episodes, I think we might want to introduce our fantastic guest. Our first guest, straight out of the transporter room. <laughs> Mr. Tony Rideout. Yes, Star yes. Trek Nerd to the Stars. And that is what I called you in. I think it was Summer Rental. I called you a nerd, and I was like, I wonder if I should ask him if I'm allowed to do that first. But that's the whole reason we're having you on here, is because you're a Star Trek nerd. 
Oh, I am a big, big Star Trek nerd, even before it was cool. Yeah. Did you get to watch all these episodes? Are you kidding me? Well, did you rewatch them recently? Oh, this is my third rewatch. Wow. Oh, man. All right. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, listen. Like, my college dorm had individual Voyager cast photos along the wall. That's so, so funny. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm gonna <clears throat> die and now your actual home or apartment, since I don't know what it is, has all those signed photos. Yes, I, I have my signed Doctor Who photos, and I've started a new wall of my signed Star Trek photos. Yes. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Incredible. It's like a shrine. It is incredible. It's it's beautiful. Ned, I'll send, send you a picture. It is outstanding. Great. Outstanding. <laughs> so the first episode that we'll talk about is the lowest rated episode. Uh, it got, what, a uh, 6.5 on episode ratings. That's not terrible. No, uh, it's really not that bad. Uh, it's the fight. It was generous. Yeah. Directed by Winrich Colby. Gentleman has uh, 52 director credits. Directed all the other Star Treks pretty much. Well, just DS9 and Next Generation. And a bunch of Knight Rider, actually. Neat. Um, written by Rick Berman and Michael Piller, which yeah, is those normal are sh- for all of this stuff. Those Absolutely. are the showrunners. Yeah. You want to do the synopsis for this one, then? Yeah. Voyager is caught in chaotic space, an area where the laws of physics are made up and the points don't matter. And Chakotay is visited by aliens who live inside the chaotic space and are trying to contact the ship to help the crew leave chaotic space before they all perish. I appreciate space. I appreciate how many times you put chaotic space in there, because every time <laughs> they said it, it was pretty funny. The episode was a little chaotic as well. Yeah, it's a fever dream. It was fevered all right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I like the guest appearances, though, on this. What, Boothsby? Yeah, Boothsby, uh, which is Ray Walston, who is Uncle Martin from My Favorite Martian. Yep. Well, who is the groundskeeper of Starfleet Academy. Yeah, is apparently a recurring character who I've never noticed before. Oh, really? oh, man, I didn't even notice that in my very quick research. He gets four appearances, I think. Yes, he, he's got a couple on Voyager, and he was introduced in um, The Next Generation. Interesting. Uh, we also get uh, Ned Romero, which is Chief Joseph. Great. From the 1975 I Will Fight No More Forever, which is actually kind of a big deal. When do you want to dive into the, the indigenous Native <laughs> American um, business here? Well, I think we have to. Well, I mean, we absolutely will, but maybe we'll start at the beginning, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I do want to say that for all these episodes, for anybody who's listening, uh, as we go through everything, not all of the episode numbers match if you're watching this on Paramount because they add um, all the double features into one episode. Yeah, I'm tired of streaming episode number problems. (laughs) Yeah, that's when you got to go in for the title. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the fight, we'll just say again. I do like uh, we go right into just the beginning of this cold open, right? Chakotay is just doing the whole ring, fighting in the ring, until it comes down to the weird special effect, like glass break yeah. or whatever it is. Reality glass. Which is really cool. And when you yeah, stop and think about it in time, like that was something spectacular. No, I think the whole cold open is like really grabs you. It's tense. It feels good. And then, um, you know, we get into the rest of the episode. <laughs> I mean, this is the first time I've watched Voyager in years at this point. So as soon as the cold opens over and it jumps right into the um, the intro, it just 
I, I'm a big fan of the Voyager intro. Uh, Dennis McCarthy does a good job with this one. The best key change in all of Star Trek. I think he's the series music. I think it's Jerry Goldsmith that did the theme. Though. Yes. Oh, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith is Mr. Star Trek. All the themes and the movie themes that became series themes was him. Well, I love this one. And I love the, I mean, as you say, the key change and all, but like, I don't, it feels like there's like some Wild West frontier feel to it towards the end too. And it just fits the series so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Come on. You see the nacelles go up. It goes into warp. Ah, come on. It looks cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, that opener is the best use of the computer graphics. Oh, absolutely. Series. Yes. Because Deep Space Nine is a scotch. It is what it is. You get to see the model of the, the parking lot space. Yeah. At least we get to see Voyager do stuff. Yeah. Both DS9 and Voyager have a little bit of the problem of uh, that the CG wasn't quite up to the task all the time as much as they would have liked. But, but for the most part, it works. Well, I mean, but the, yeah, but you there are times. Watch Babylon Five. Oh yeah, talk about. <laughs> I mean, great stories, terrible CGI. Even at the time, it was not good. Hey, uh, low resolution does wonders for these things. Yeah, that's the thing. Why are we watching this stuff in high def? Well, so does my cataract. So there you go. So it's it's great. I'm tired of them remastering things. Let's let's demaster them. <laughs> let's get smaller TVs and let's just quit worrying about it. My first uh, note on this is that holodeck episodes are always a little dodgy. Oh, you know what? Because when they did the holodeck, I thought it would be like a bottle episode, actually. But it was not. Because sometimes it's just an excuse to do a Sherlock Holmes story. And you're like, oh, well, I was watching Star Trek. So I didn't have to watch PBS. (laughs) Doesn't Voyager have these kind of like Pride and Prejudice style holodeck episodes as well? Yes, that the, at the first couple seasons, that's um, Janeway Lambda One. Yes, right. And then there's the the French Cafe where everybody plays pool, and then oh, they, that's right, the French Cafe. Yes, and then they change that into that like like island kind of place, and then of course you know Captain Proton, which is a classic. But you can tell that Chakotay is in distress because his hair is down in front of his forehead. Now, did you boys notice that? He is not combed. Yes. So when like they want to make like Chakotay like kind of casual, they kind of like put his hair down. But when he's like Starfleet ready, it's always kind of like quaffed up a little bit. Mm, I did not know that. I'll see details, boys. And I don't think I got to see enough clean Chakotay to make the uh, that's the the weakness of our format. We watched two episodes, so in some cases it's difficult to tell what someone even supposed to look like if they didn't show up that much. <laughs> I have a question here, though. My next set of notes after the intro, right? The doctor is uh, adding a vocal uh, amendment to his log. Chief Medical Officer's log supplemental. Does a hologram really need to have a vocal log? Well, of course. For for pros- um, posterity's sake, you know, and, you know, eventually, spoiler alert, they get home. So, you know, we have to understand what's going on in the... Uh... Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not at those episodes. <laughs> It'd be a brave choice to, for them never to get home, though, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of like a, um, what you call it, quantum leap. And see, I'm back at... Would it be, though, if we would just assume that they canceled the series? That's true. But the doctor, in, in this whole thing, I feel is the most reasonable person. And probably the best actor. Picardo's great. I mean, he fires 
on all cylinders in every episode, especially when they allow him to chew the, chew the scenery a little bit. Yeah. That is primo doctor. I mean, he was doing some good scenery chewing in here. Oh. When he's, when he's stopping the fight. And... Yeah, I'm curious. We do have plenty of the techno babble, right, of just things that don't make sense. But when they get into the medical scenes, does any of that information, legitimate medical information? I would imagine so. Yeah, I don't know about the, the crazy person gene, but... Well, yeah, the crazy person gene. Because you think at, in this century, we might be able to make some modifications to not have to worry about that part, right? We're just going to turn off the schizophrenia. Well, you know, I am becoming a doctor, but I can only help in any music uh, crises that happen. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I love that, right, we end up in chaotic space, and the only way that it, these aliens can communicate is through Chicote, right? There's no way that they could affect electronics or anything else right well it's because he's got that mutated uh, gene well obviously it's a yeah. solid story that's the the only way they can communicate is with someone who is unwell in some way oh right unwell because it's chaotic space yeah or that yeah. like that's the only thing that allows that connection i retract my stupid question i generally like this episode as a chakotay doesn't get a lot in the series well see okay so so let's get let, let's get into this business now great the problem with Chakotay through the entire series, and, and you're kind of seeing it now, the character of Chakotay is like a three-day-old bagel. There's not really much there. It's a little tough. It's a little chewy. You eat it because you have to, right? Uh-huh. One of my biggest gripes about Voyager, which I love, I absolutely love it, like you're mixing these two crews, and there should be all of this tension, and by, like, the fourth episode, everybody's like, eh, we get along fine. Yeah, they just drop it immediately. Yeah, and then his character is constantly underdeveloped because they don't lean into his indigenousness. Is that even a word? Indigenousness? It yes. makes sense to me. Right. It does or, make sense. Or, or his Native American background. Now, here, right. now, I took notes on this because you boys are going to love this. So they, now, Robert Baltran who plays Chakotay, is of Mexican-American descent. So the Voyager hired this guy by the name of Jamaica Highwater. And this man claimed to be part of the Cherokee tribe and was hired for his quote-unquote Native American expertise. So he was going to guide the character of Chakotay through some like authentic spirituality things. Because then we see like the spirit walk and all of that other business. But the reason why none of that really works is this man's actual name was Jackie Marks. He was born in <laughs> Los Angeles, California, and he is of Jewish ancestry. Oh my God, that's <laughs> awesome. I mean, that's terrible. Let, let me actually preface that. That is miserably awful. But I guess in retrospect, trying it's, to think about this. Is, it's a funny story. It just adds to the fact of why Robert Beltran probably hated this role yeah robert beltran was i I've, i found a couple interviews where he is just savage about his time on this show yeah because like like he was supposed to be like, what you know like tom paris was supposed to be like the sexy like ooh yeah 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 guy and he was supposed to be like the um like the indiana jones kind of guy and they never found ground with him yeah i guess what so what you were saying about in the pilot the crew of the voyager is going to find a maquis ship which are the Federation rebels from Deep Space Nine. And so Chicote, Torres, and I guess those are the only two main characters that are Maquis, right? Correct. 
Tony. And then so they end up merging together because they lose the ship in, a, in the first fight. And then after that, they got to get home together. But And Tuvok uh, was undercover right. as a Maquis agent. And so because I've just watched, I'm starting to watch the series now with my girlfriend. And so I did watch the first episode. And it's interesting because I think all these characters start out with good potential. And then they just kind of ignore it all. Because Tom Paris is a, a person with low moral fiber who has done bad things in the past and is in a penal colony. Yes. And that never really comes up again. Nope. He's a good he's a good guy the rest of the series. And then uh, Chakotay could spend some time arguing with the captain or at least pushing back. Right? There should be more of that back and forth because he's not the assigned first officer. He took the first officer position because it was the only way to make things work. But that doesn't mean he was he's now just in Starfleet. Well, he oh, was yeah. a Starfleet. So I did not read and and respects the and respects the chain of command. Like the situation that they were in, he would have more agency. Right. Well, Chakotay was did go through the academy, mm-hmm. went through all of that, and then that whole you know Bajor and Cardassia business broke out, and then he left. So, like, right. I guess that is why for that specific character, they were like, okay, you can be second in command because you understand how it all works. Right. But I mean, there's a couple. There's a there's a couple really excellent episodes about that, but they never really. Dig into it. Now, by the time this episode airs, what, that season, this is season five. five. Then you expect everyone just to be working together. But, like, every once in a while, you'll hear him say, oh, this is an old Maquis trick that we used to do, and this will work. Uh-huh. Okay. But that's when he's going on his spirit walks. And then how do you blend spirituality in this science fiction setting where... Science is king. Everybody understands it. And there's um, a couple episodes, the first and second season, where he's just like Native peoples or First Nations people still believe in these things, but we also understand how it works with science. So that's when when he goes on his little um, spirit walk, he hooks himself up to all of these. uh, There's a techno babble explained earlier. And that like calms his neuro waves and everything else, and he's able to so get that, this. That's a revisiting plane. thing that they'll do multiple times. Yes. And every time you kind of cringe a little bit, you're like, oh, they are doing this again. Do oh. This. oh, too bad. Because it's been so long, it's almost like a first watch again. Over COVID, I did Next Gen and I did Deep Space Nine, but I did skip Voyager. It feels like there's a lot of lost potential in some of these characters between the episodes that we watched. Oh. Well, we'll we'll get to yeah. Endgame later, but... I think my favorite mm. moment in this episode is when he doesn't want to go back in and Janeway's encouraging him to, and she's essentially, she's giving him big mommy energy. I realize you're frightened, but you're our only hope out of this place. You think this could risk your sanity, but your sanity won't do you any good if we remain in chaotic space. I need you to keep trying to go dead. Because I think she's like she's like rubbing his hand a little bit and talking real softly, but she's basically saying you're gonna have to go back in there because otherwise we're all gonna die. Uh, but she's doing it in the nicest, like firmest way possible. I think the word you're looking for, Ned, is a subtle command. Ah, uh, yes. Because like I wouldn't say that Janeway has in any episode mommy energy. Like Janeway gives like big dick energy at all times. And that's coming from me. So I'm like, oh, hey, Janeway. Yeah. How you do it? Right? Like, I like she, I love her character. Like, even through all of this, where, like, even, like, there towards the end, where she's just like, 
you all think he's crazy, but I'm the boss. So everyone shut the hell up, plot that course, do what he says. And I dare any of you to question me because I will pull out a phaser and I will put it to widespread and I will knock all of you out. That's the kind of captain we need. Or maybe that's just my own personal fantasy. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever asked me the question many years ago, uh, which captain, right? Janeway was my captain. That's changed over the years. I'm a, uh, a little bit more of a fan of Cisco these days. Well, see, now, now, Cisco, that's a whole different kind of big dick energy. Yeah. Like, they all do. I mean, my least favorite captain is Archer, but let's not even talk about the new Star Trek because my head will explode, and we don't yeah. have time to talk about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. Also, we're, we're only in the 90s, right? Yeah. Now. I don't, uh, there's Star no... Trek, when Star Trek, the Star Trek, and men were men. Yes. As as far as our podcast is concerned, there is no Star Trek Enterprise, so... <laughs> Voyager isn't finished yet, as far as our '90s podcast oh, is right. concerned. I'm sorry. Sorry. I didn't need to jump <laughs> no, no, you uh, Tube here. Yes. I like Tuvok's neck pinch. Yeah, I have that too. That fight is is fun. Give me the old Vulcan neck pinch. And Tuvok does that a lot through the series. And I will have yeah. to say this: Tuvok, one of the best Vulcans. Yeah, he's great. He's great. We get the most time with him. I feel Spock's the original, but. Seven seasons of a show is probably more than three seasons of a show and six movies. Tuvok had, I, oh God, people are going to cancel me, but he almost has like more purpose. Like as one, the captain's confidant, and two, like I'm head of security, which sometimes right. he does it very poorly, Tuvok. <laughs> <laughs> for, for someone who's got logic, there's a lot of things where I'm like, really, Tuvok? But I will say this about this episode, like Beltran is a fan fantastic actor yeah, he's doing good he's doing great I, I think he has a command of this episode sometimes it's a, a scotch over dramatic but i think that's the whole 90s thing i also think that in terms of you get what he's struggling with and you get what the metaphor of the boxing is, is all about and and i think that's also part of the writing too the episode itself is written pretty well. I did. I think he's going for it, Beltran, in the episode. But there's some stale parts to some of this, and I don't think it's the over dramatics. But maybe just it is a '90s thing, and it's more thinking retrospectively. As Ned and I have talked multiple times, it sometimes it's hard to put yourself back in the in the time period. I think it's also uh, it's difficult to show visually a mental struggle without just describing it. Right. That's why I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in Dune Part 2, because most of that is just him having unconscious coma fever dreams. And I don't know how you show that in a visual sense without just telling you what's going on. Books, you can tell say what people are thinking, right? Yeah. Uh, but not in visual medium. So it's very difficult to show something this abstract. And it was interesting, even like even at this point in the 90s, mental health or mental health issues weren't as widely accepted. Right. You know, you only saw a therapist because you were nuts, not uh-huh. because it's just good mental health. And this fact that we were finally starting to understand genes and here's this genetic thing that's passed on and on. And you know, I guess if we put ourselves and this is what I love about Star Trek, it handles contemporary issues, yeah. but set into the, the far future. Ripped from yeah. the headlines. <laughs> dung, dung. <laughs> Still talking about his struggle, that weird gag with auditory sounds and stuff where they have the little back and forth between the captain 
and the doctor when the after the doctor's playing notes verbally yes oh i i just thought that was a weird little gag that just did not play that well but i that could just be me well i hmm. tony loved it well <laughs> i kind of love well i mean it's it's weird, <laughs> but it it's also that thing of like that's just part of the doctor's character as well and like how everybody is kind of they tolerate his shenanigans if that makes sense well what else are you gonna do yeah they got nobody else to do it right yeah yeah even though out of that ship of anybody else you couldn't make a couple nurses but that's real nitpicking yeah but he's the only person that can handle any kind of medical emergency well he's on call all the time too right do they even yes. pay him he doesn't need to sleep he doesn't need to eat well where they got rid of Cass, thank god they did that but like the med tech is the guy who finds the ship tom paris yeah not smart oh. not smart oh i forgot about tess oh yeah Cass. that's early on right she's there from like a few episodes like in. first four seasons yeah okay i think yeah she made a quick exit to bring in the delightful jerry ryan as as seven of nine they pad very very liberally <laughs> They were aiming for the 14-year-old audience with that one. Oh, they should. Well, you know, Mr. Uh, Berman also, I think, allegedly was kind of like a known, like, chauvinistic pig. So, yeah, okay. yeah you know, a little TNA always goes well. You know what I mean? Yeah, it made uh, Kate Mulgrew furious. Oh, yeah. Miss Mulgrew, not pleased. Yeah. It's when that Seven of Nine character took off. And she was just like, wait, I'm the, the middle-aged lady. I mean... Listen, I think Janeway is real. I, I think she's the bee's knees. Yeah. But, like, but Seven just has that je ne sais quoi. But actually, they were going to kill off Harry Kim. And then um, Garrett Wong was listed as people's most 100 beautiful people. And that's huh. when they decided to kill Kess. Okay. Really? Yeah. I told you, boys, you want your wealth of 90s nonsense? Here I am. <laughs> Oh my god, that's great! I mean, to be fair, in that those uh, those episodes, he does look good, uh, Garrett. In the next episode, yeah, he's a that that gray hair suits him. He's like the best old person uh, for that, but we can get to that when we get to it. He's also one that complained about the writing and his character handling. Yes, and he was also the sweater, not not like the like what you wear when it's cold, but he would profusely sweat underneath <laughs> in the costumes. Oh, bummer. Oh. <laughs> so there was an interview with him and LeVar Burton. And apparently LeVar was the sweater of the next generation, like under all of those lights and in those costumes. You never want to take over his station, huh? No. Oh, man. <laughs> you got to get that hypo spray out. Mm -hmm. Well, I just got a few more minor notes about the this episode. I love Kid Chaos. Uh, yeah. Just yelling about uh, galaxy-faced strange other fighter. I thought that part was cool. I like the the guy he's actually fighting at the beginning. The prosthetics for all that looks actually pretty good too. For a one off that you're never going to see again, I mean they put they put some effort into it. And the scene where they're all in there yelling, they're all in there, and the the boxing match, the ring looks all weird because it's a weird hallucination ring. It's like some sort of like long triangle. Yeah. Uh, whenever whenever it shows up, and they're all just yelling about stuff, and then Tuvok shows up, and it's he's like, "Don't listen to that man. He's just a gardener." Uh, as as the coach is yelling about boxing stuff, yeah, get him uh, with that... the left, and and then of course, then you they ruined the episode even more 
by showing that rat Neelix. What are you talking about? Yeah. And that's all I was saying. Yeah. Well, that, it's funny, too, because with the boxing ring, that's immediately when I realized it wasn't a bottle episode. And then I was like, oh, wait, we haven't seen Neelix in a while. And then, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he's. this is not a bad Neelix episode. If Neelix was always the way he was in this episode, I don't think we'd hate him as much. <laughs> yeah, I was, I he was has his never moments. on the Neelix train, no. But one thing I also thought they did super well in this when you're talking about like visual and he's like boxing on the bridge, he's like running, doing laps around like the warp core and all of those yeah. other things, which kind of gives you this feel that Chakotay is really struggling with where am I? What am I doing? How am I doing this? And then it's yeah. also this thing of like, my grandfather had this ailment or this gene and I don't want to become him. Like, yeah. it, I mean, it, it's it's a really well highfalutin written episode. It's a good idea. And the way they play into like the way the aliens tell the information, right? As it just slowly progresses and it just feels like it turns more and more into the fever dream and it's just played out where, you know, each person saying something. It, I mean, it, it comes to a good head right there. That's my favorite part when you're getting the sentences based off what everybody else has said in the episode. Yeah. yeah, like I think that's when it's like, ah, this is it's what, what they've seen through his eyes. They're able to access. Yeah, overall, I, th I always like to talk about the worst episode. I think there are worse episodes of Voyager than this, but I think it's a reasonable encounter with a some sort of space god. Then you're just reminiscing about mental illness and what is reality. So this is a good sci fi story. If this is the worst episode, this is all very good for a series. But I, I totally agree with you. I can think of worse episodes than this. More mediocre, nope. for sure. And this was from the audience score. Is, is that yeah. Yeah, so uh, episode ratings basically pulls from multiple sources, just uses the data to create a different rating. So if you went on to IMDb for this episode, you would get a 5.0 with about 1.7K votes. And a lot of times there's a, a couple things vying for that last position or that first position. Usually, yeah. Well, and I think a possible reason for that is when you're like, you're excited for like a seven of nine episode, you're excited for a doctor episode, but then you get to like Chakotay and again, it's that like stale old bagel. You're like, yeah, yeah, I guess that'll do. I do want to say before we close out the episode completely that I feel really bad for um, Chakotay because, you know, he goes through this horrible experience and he only gets one day off. Yeah. Well, that's because that jackass wanted to go in and box again. Please. <laughs> well, that's he. what he does on his days off is nobody's business. But see, yeah. but that is Janeway's big dick energy. She's not having it. Oh, you're ready to fight again? I'll see you at your station tomorrow morning. Boom. That's why she's the boss. Maybe she's the reason why I have mummy issues. Oh. <laughs> I'll figure that through. With Mrs. Columbo. Oh, oh, yeah, Mrs. Columbo. Mrs. Columbo. But you know what? She's got a nice little career, you know? she's uh, She was in the Orange is the New Black. No, she's she great. Was. She's legit. She's great in that, for sure. I never saw. But now she's Star Trek prodigy. And I think there's talks about there being a Janeway show. Sign me up. Interesting. They'll never get Avery Brooks back. Oh, no. He's too busy being a strange artist, and I really appreciate that. But just remember, Ned, money talks. If Paramount's giving you that money... He's out in his own world doing his own thing that I don't think he even cares. 
but he still does conventions and stuff. So I mean, yeah. that does supplement. Like as a nerd who pays hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of dollars for autographs and pictures. Yeah, man, you go all out once a year. I love seeing those pictures that you oh, post. Oh man, oh man. And I'm gonna tell you, like, I have to eat peanut butter and jelly and like ramen noodles, like for the next week or two afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's rough. <laughs> Um, well, we could do the top episodes. Yeah, you want to tell me about that? Yeah, so it, again, with the Paramount, they put the two together. Um, but this is Season 7, Episode 25 and 26, Endgame. Um, and it's a two-parter for the series finale, so we watched both of them together as one full episode. Uh, directed by Alan Croker, 81 director credits. He did a bunch of Star Trek and Bones and Chuck, if anybody remembers those lovely shows. I love Chuck. Chuck was it, man. It was pretty good. Yeah, Chuck was really good for a couple seasons, and then, well, it kind of fell off really hard. Yeah, that last one got a little dicey. (laughs) Um, Written by Rick Berman and Mike Mike Piller, again, as normal. And then the synopsis for this one is, in the series finale, uh, years after Voyager's return to the Alpha Quadrant, Admiral Catherine Janeway resolves to alter the past in order to help her crew get home sooner. Janeway uses advanced technology to thwart the Temporal Integrity Commission to team up with her past self to deal a huge blow to the Borg Queen and getting get her entire crew back home alive. Now, that this, sounds like what I watched. <laughs> but this is another perfect example of Janeway and her big dick energy. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's double big dick energy in this one. That's a sword fight and a half. Let me tell you that. But like, but like, this is not my my personal favorite episode of Star Trek Voyager. But I think it is almost a near perfect landing for a series finale. Yeah, it's a fitting end in general. Everything wraps up really nicely. But the pacing in this episode is a a little difficult to sit through. It's a scotch rushed at the end but we'll get there it opens up you know you see voyager the golden gate bridge there's all those fireworks and i'm like oh wow we made it everybody in uh in old people makeup yeah i'm gonna tell you the makeups team did tom paris wrong i got I, i've got a note here for that i said i said oh wow it's it's a collection of silver foxes and then we got to tom paris and i typed in well except for tom paris <laughs> He's yeah. looking schlubby. But if you look at his current pictures, they may have been in the uh, the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. He's enjoying his retirement in both in both fiction and reality. Does he sit and sign autographs? Oh yeah. I mean they all they all do the circuit. Do they? Okay. That's money. But most like at those it'd big, be hard to pass up. Like like at those bigger things. Like they get like an appearance fee. You get paid to show up and then you take a cut of everything you make there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd sit around and do that. Old Bill Shatner's still doing it. And I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, I know this is not 90s, but this no, my experience fine. with Bill Shatner, you Please. don't tell Bill Shatner what to do. <laughs> I went to see a screening of him in The Wrath of Khan. So we watched the film. He comes out. There's this like young reporter who's starting to ask him questions. And you can just see Bill is like, I'm going to shut this kid up. Grabs the microphone and goes, you just sit back. I got this. And literally did 90 minutes nonstop. The best thing I've ever seen in my life. 
I, I believe that because you see that when he comes down from space and he wants to talk about the experience and how it's kind of affected him. And Bezos is just like, here's the champagne. Nobody cares what you have to say. And he looked so upset that he did not get to talk about how that basically changed his life at, at, in his 90s. And I recently saw Old Bill last year at a convention. And people, you know, would go and they would ask him questions about Star Trek. Bill is done answering your stupid questions about what happened in an episode from 1966. He, he's not there <laughs> for it. So he's talking about the albums he made. And smooth segues. He'll be like, that's a great question. So let me tell you about my, uh, the, my experience making this album. Let me tell you about Tech War. But in the four seconds that I got my picture with him, I felt like the most special person. Looked me dead in the eye. Mr. Shatner, it's so nice. Thank you for being here. He was like, it's my pleasure. Stern snapped the picture and went on. Four seconds and more than $200 for that picture. We'll put it there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good gig if you can get it. That's right. I just need to be some ensign that has three lines and gets shot at the beginning. I could go on the circuit. Not to go back into New Trek, though, but it's, unfortunately, that's not the meal ticket it once was. No. Because there's, there's going to be, at this point, more Star Trek than we could ever handle for the rest of our lives, probably. Yeah, the same with all that stuff at this point. You're just like, oh my god, please stop. At some point, the, the conventions are going to be so full that it'll be $3 a... Because <laughs> they, they got so many of them. You know, the competition is going to drive the prices down. Yeah, that's why you got to go to the Doctor Who conventions. They get the old, yeah. old British guys to fly over. It's a great time. Oh, good segue there. The Doctor. Ah, Can a hologram really get married? Yeah. Yeah, he's a person now. I know there's, I remember there's one where he's, aren't copies of him, like, pressed into mining slavery in an episode? There's a lot of questions about, just like Data, is this computer a person? Well, and I think... Ethics like, problems. In terms of the Doctor, you know, like, you actually get to see his character evolve. Mm -hmm. through you know like he's very curt at the beginning and then you know there's that one episode where they, they have to kind of like basically reboot him and then he has to learn all that stuff over again but i think it's great that he's just like hey i decided after all of this to pick this name joe and here i am with this hot lady and yeah we're getting married that's fun but the other thing i liked about it they take a couple big swings in this episode because it's years after they get back. So it took them 23 years to actually get back to Earth. Then it's an extra 10, so it's been 30-some years. Yep. So it's this idea that we kind of get a snapshot of everybody, and instantly you're like, where's Seven of Nine, and where's Chakotay? I guess right. this ties into the last thing. You're just like, odd that they're not there. You mm -hmm. know? But we get to see... Alana be the envoy to the Klingon High Council. Tom is the, what, he's the um, hollow novel person. The Doctor is still there. Harry finally got to be a captain. And I love those uniforms. Those are like the, the next generation um, all good things uniforms. I love those Deltas. I love those uniforms. But I yeah, also love yeah. that Beverly Crusher was a captain as well. But we'll talk about that later. Oh, and Lieutenant Barkley teaches. Yes. Commander Barkley. Yeah, well. Well, exactly. He's still a schmuck. I, it's a strange thing to bring back. 
Who Barkley? But yeah, Barkley. Well, Bar- a little bit. Well, Barkley plays. I want to say it's season six. They do find a way to communicate with the Alpha Quadrant, and Barkley is the person that. So it makes sense that that he's still there. Then that makes more sense. Right. It does. Yeah. But I also love that Janeway, through all of this time, is still thinking of her people, thinking of the people that she lost, and then kind of also going, you know what? I could have done things better. And I mean, as far as Kate Maldrew goes, like this is a tour de force for her. A perfect, this was my show. My name is first on the credits. And this last episode is just letting everybody remember that this is my show. So I thought that was perfect as well. The old Harry Kim gets some good stuff, but a lot of the other people are kind of just doing the same stuff they've always done. Except for the part of the episode that angers me is putting Chakotay and Seven of Nine together. Yeah. So this is the only time that happens. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I I had that question, and I was going to look it up, and you know what? I wanted to ask you and see where that went, and you just preemptively answered my question. Well, because, like, one, it almost felt like they were like, well, hell, we need something to do with Chakotay. And they're like, and we have to sideline Seven of Nine Uh because this is the last episode. Now, that season starts with the unit matrix zero thing, and that is a big part. It's, like, very Jerry Ryan heavy. So maybe that's what it was, which is a great episode, too. Um, It's another two-parter. But... um. It felt like they needed to sideline those two characters, but yet give them something to do, which one didn't feel authentic. And those were the parts where I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the fast forward 10 seconds button. Ew, this is creepy. It's like watching your kindergarten teacher make out with some strange man. Like, ew, yuck, I don't wanna see that. And then Neelix is only in the episode to play uh internet mail chess with her. Yeah, because I went was did he leave I think he left, yes, I believe he left the episode before or maybe the one before that. Because I'm like, we're, we're not going to take this rat home. Yeah. <laughs> well, he doesn't want to go there. No. Well, I mean, he's a creeper anyway, so good riddance. He was better on Benson. You know the show Benson, boys? <laughs> I'm looking it up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's, as soon as you say it, basically. <laughs> Time for me to learn something. Yes. I mean, this isn't 90s either, but he was on a show called Benson where it followed the lieutenant governor. I can't remember what state, but it was like his chief of staff. So Ethan Phillips was there. The man right. who played Odo was also in it. Ah, uh, Rene Aubergenois. Yes. You, you stick with me, boys. I'll, I'll, we'll, go, we'll go to Benson. We'll trace <laughs> that back to like uh, laughing and Maud and all that other stuff. Oh, good times. Things I've heard of and know nothing about. <laughs> Those old shows are hard to access. We get Saturday Night Live because of how well attested it is, but there's all these variety shows that are just kind of gone. You can find it maybe on one of those old people t- TV channels. We yeah, I don't know. Like, how would I watch Laughing? Let's find that out. I don't. I don't even know if you can. It's on Tubi. Tubi to the rescue again. Are you familiar with Tubi, Tony? Oh, that's where I walk, watch Buck Rogers. <laughs> There's so much weird, good, free stuff that's hard to find on there. Oh, yeah, and of course, an, an 80s classic. This is for your, your spinoff show, 80s Pop-Up Collar. 
But one of my favorite science fiction shows of all time, V is on that one. I love it. The original. The original. The remake, yeah. not so bad either. People just didn't give it a chance. But anyway, so good old Janeway's got this like little plan. And the fact that this has been festering in her mind this whole time. For 10 years. She's got that tricked out shuttle. We've got new armor. We've got new everything. We've got to double cross those Klingons. This is peak Janeway. Steal some drugs from the Federation. It's nice to see some honest-to-God Klingons in, in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, that Klingon stuff's pretty pretty good there, too. But before we get to that, um, the flashback when they first start, which they're technically not flashbacks because, you know, time is, is made up and they all happen at exactly the same time. But I love when Torres is having the baby but not having the baby yet and the doctor's having the conversation with Paris about, can you induce her? And he's like, no. Paris says, you know, he wants to get some sleep. And the doctor says, you think it's bad now? Sorry. I love that interaction. That whole interaction was fantastic. I'm piping it in here whether you want me to or not. Great. Oh, we'll pipe it in. Well, before you pipe it in, pipe back beforehand where she's like, Tom, it's time. And like he communicates with the doctor and he's just like, okay, come to sick bay. And Tom is like, well, what about Balana? Her too, <laughs> jackass. Let's go. Come on. Come on. We don't have time for this. Tom. I'm sleeping. It's time. For what? I'll give you one guess. Paris to... Paris to sickbay. It's time. Remain calm, Mr. Paris. Can she stand? Affirmative. Then I suggest you report to sickbay. What about Bolana? Her too. Right, of course. Maybe we should take the transporter. Hey, wait for me! Hmm. What do you mean by hmm? You're going to have a very healthy baby. But not tonight. <sighs> Tell me you're joking. You're experiencing false labor, Lieutenant. Again, as I explained the last time, it's a common occurrence, especially among Klingons. I want this thing out of me. No! Misdirected rage. Another common occurrence among Klingons. Can't you induce? I wouldn't recommend it. If this keeps happening, we'll never get any sleep. You think it's bad now? Tom Ferris is such a goober. Oh man, such a goober. Yeah, I mean, what wasted potential? I'm different from you here. I do not care for the Borg and Voyager much at all. What? It's the same problem of the alien from Alien. Is that like, once you see him 5,800 times, you're just like, okay, it's one of those again. Really? That's so interesting. It's an overuse thing. Well, okay. Are you ready for another new little factoid? Yeah, give it. Okay, so the reason why the Borg plays such a big part in Star Trek Voyager is Voyager was on air as they were making the masterpiece called Star Trek First Contact. And they were just like, well, we've made these sets. We've got all of these things. We might as well use them. Okay. And I mean, and we get the original Borg, Borg Queen back. Yeah. We do, yeah. Well, this is where I'll complain about that, because I do like First Contact as a movie, but I'm of the opinion that the Borg Queen ruins everything that's good about the Borg. Yeah. Despite the fact that I really like the Borg Queen herself. She's a little mustache twirly of a villain. Once you put a face on the faceless devourer and, and a face you can talk to, it's instantly less scary. Instead of being in something that you can't cut the head off of. You know, it's like the 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 whole concept of them just being this, they're going to eat it all. 
Uh, as soon as there's like a person with motivations behind it, it becomes a lot less scary and removes a lot of the oomph that the Borg originally had. That's my opinion. Excellent points. And they're all valid. They're all valid. I, I agree. Thank you. I'm a big fan of the Borg. I think they did do some interesting things with the Borg during the run of Voyager. I'll agree with that. Especially because, you know, the Borg are from the Delta Quadrant. That makes sense that they're there. I think sometimes when you give something, and I think, Ned, this is to your point, when you give something too much of a backstory, yeah, it's not as scary. Darth Vader now isn't as scary because he's a little upset <laughs> kid. He's an angry guy who hates sand. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, God. It was better yeah. when he was this this massive thing that just was force choking people just because he liked it, not because he. Yeah, they do they do him wrong in the the movies after the fact and with the originals. Still great in the comics though. The imagination that I had is better than the story you're telling. It sounds like most of my dates. So right. <laughs> but the good thing about the Borg Queen in this is you get to see both Janeways play this game of chess with her. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes, that raises the stakes a bit. But I also enjoy, one of my favorite parts about the episode is seeing the two Janeways battle it out for a while. Yeah, they play that off real well, too. I mean, not to spoil the episode, because we have so much more to talk about, but that end result where they pull the whole ruse on everybody is, is pretty great. Young Janeway is just like, absolutely not. I'm not doing the thing you want me to do. So old Janeway softened a little bit in her old age. We're going to do it the right way. If you look at the younger versions of ourselves, we were much more idealistic, perhaps, than we are today. Yeah. Because Admiral Janeway, in this, in this instance, was very practical. Results-focused. Yeah. Yes. And consequences be damned. But then, one, Admiral Janeway is trying to get them home faster. She's also like, well, seven dies. Chakotay is not right for the rest of our trip. And then she's like, and then 21 other people died. I'm like, you know, that kind of cheapens every, like, quote unquote, red shirt ensign or crewman that has died since. Yeah. This is the problem with time travel, right? Is go back a little bit further. Can you go back to the beginning uh, and then just show up and blow up the the Kazon vessels that are there and then use the caretaker to, to blast home and then blow it up so that it doesn't affect anyone else ever happened again did the people who die before this not matter to you or and the time police never show up no well you know janeway and i think this is what makes her captain she i feel that she has to face through the entire run of the series and even put into light in this specific episode is she is constantly dealing with these never before considered or these impossible situations and she 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 struggles throughout the series with like this is the prime directive or this is what starfleet says but then she has to go but we're going to bend that rule a little bit so we can go and do this other thing uh-huh. and i think that's what makes her a different type of captain than everyone else yeah there are a lot of people who don't like uh janeway for her, her inconsistency and uh i think the problem with that and a lot of it in this show is that it's it's not clear whether someone is actually changing or whether it's just they're forgetting 
from episode to episode what's happened in the past. Yes. There's the episode of Deep Space Nine where Cisco's like, it's the one where he hires Garrick to do amoral stuff. And he's like, I, I lied, I cheated, I covered up a murder, and I'm okay with that for these reasons. And that's and it shows he, he is there, but he's there intentionally. There's a lot of Janeway where it's like, she's doing things, and it could be because she's becoming either more desperate or, like, as time goes on, she's more willing to bend the rules. But it's not in the text that that's happening. Correct. Correct. It's so, it's, so it's a little less clear when you're watching it. Because I think Voyager has a lot of trouble with episode to episode. There are really big, important things that happen that are never mentioned again. Correct. Well, and I think that's, so if we could 90 schmaltz DS9 for a minute, where there were actual big arcs that were written. And I mean, they do tie some characters. There's like some through line through, but not really an awful lot. The, I think this is where some of the weaknesses of the premise come into play is that this is the series where it's like most important. The overarching story of like, you are far from home and cannot access help is the overarching story, but it's only important sometimes. Correct. Like, for example, um, rations. That's why we have that space rat cooking all these ridiculous yeah. things. Or, <laughs> you know, like when they in that first episode, I want to say they're just like, this is how many photon torpedoes we have. Yeah, I sent, I sent Jeff the video where someone uh, cribbed <laughs> all the footage and have a, have a counter running. And every time someone says something about the number of torpedoes or what they did to them, it has a running countdown and they get down to negative 58 by oh, the yeah. end of the series. Oh, we've got, we've got extra space so we could make this Delta flyer because yeah. we need something. Or... We, we've, we've wrecked 13 shuttles. And they, they just keep popping up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it's definitely just like Simpsons levels of everything's back to normal well, at the end of the episode. Well, and, well, here's another interesting factoid about like even what you were talking about. Like Ronald D. Moore, who was basically in charge of Deep Space Nine, where things really start cooking, started working on Voyager and wanted it to be much, much darker. Like that ship mm -hmm. is pristine at all times and all yeah. of that stuff. But that is how he left. And that is how we got the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, it is the uh, similar okay. story. But, like, but Battlestar Galactica, the reboot is very More dark. realized. And yeah. yeah. And, and I think the executive producers on the show were just like, we just need this to be a Star Trek show. This was the flagship for uh, UPN. Yes, and this so this yeah. was this was going to be the thing that was I think one of the first primetime shows made just for UPN. UPN was showing nothing but Star Trek reruns at that point, and I loved it. Every year at the beach, I'd spend I'd just turn on UPN all day long. Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, Voyager, fantastic. But because of that, I guess they wanted it to be more like Next Generation. Correct. In that it was not a continuing story. And every once in a while, you would see them barter for things and all of that yeah. stuff. But there's a lot of convenience. Like, for example, future Jane or Admiral Janeway brings all of this future tech. Like, the Borg don't have this. We'll be fine. Like, I'm all prepared for this. There is some convenience to it. Yeah. Uh, I think my, my big complaint about this episode is that it's having your cake and eating it, too. Right? She even says that. She's a, she says, that. I want to have my cake and eat it, too. And yeah. then they do. Uh, she gets to do what she wants and save everyone. And then they also get to blow up the Borg gate. And then everyone's happy. And it's, there's no sacrifice, no real drama. It all gets wrapped up in a nice little bow. And in the end, I don't know if anyone learned anything. But do you feel 
that for the epic finale of good, which is the Voyager versus bad, the Borg, don't you just kind of want to see like Voyager kicking ass? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. No, like, like Ned, you have excellent and valid points. <laughs> I'm not trying to like naysay them, but like even just like rewatching it, you're just kind of like, they're going to get maybe yeah. more struggle first. Uh, and it's and it's also the the challenge of of this show too is that like you can't have anything really bad happen because there's no you don't get to go back to dry dock for an episode or two. Correct. So it's in in the end you're like oh they're getting shot up pretty bad how do they get out of this one and I know they will but yeah no it's it I I see what you're saying that it is the effects look great the that armor thing is cool it looks like that you remember that Lost in Space movie with uh, Joey from Friends yeah. And he, and he has one. It does look like that. I didn't he has, think he, has that. he has a helmet like that goes up over his face that looks really neat. It reminds me of that. But then we kind of go to the very end when you see everybody in the Alpha Quadrant. You know, you see Barkley and everyone's like, oh, how is yeah. that possible? The older gentleman who's bald, Admiral Paris, that's Tom's father. Richard Hurd? Yes. So it's that thing of like, hey, like here they are. But if you watch real carefully, when they're just like, assemble all the ships, the Enterprise D is one of those ships. Because it's that far in the past. You know, you're just like, oh, well, there they are. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they hadn't done Star Trek Generations yet. Right? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no, is that, that's when they lose the E, right? Oh, well, with Generations, they lose the D. Okay, yes, that's what it is, yes. And then we get the E for two movies. At the end of Insurrection, it's implied that the E is no longer. I wasn't a fan of the E, but no one has my opinion. Yeah, those Next Generation movies are... Yeah, they took a nosedive quick. They're something, they are. yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. The very end, like the last shot, felt so rushed. Yeah, it just kind of ends. Yeah, they're like, through the thing, you see Earth in the distance, and the credit goes off. Yeah, it's well. We needed to get some more footage of Chakotay and Seven Smoochin. Yeah, <laughs> that what I mean. That all should have been in the edits. Yeah, because then I feel like we needed. It felt like, and I don't know if you gentlemen agree. It felt like there needed to be one more plot twist before they yeah. finally got out. Yeah, just kind of. It's a. This is what we're gonna do, and then she says, "No, I want to do something different. I want to blow up the thing." So I won't go through without uh, without destroying it as well. And then uh, after that, they just figure out how to do that. And then they do it. I don't know if it, it's a twist that's needed, but I mean, it goes back to the pacing, right? It's this huge, long, slow build over these two episodes where then the last like eight minutes is where everything happens and then it's over. It's like a so even if they would have just peaked a little bit sooner in the episode, like maybe halfway through the second episode instead of the last little bit. You know, they might have been able to create more of that tension because that's what it's missing. It's missing that lovely little bit of tension at the end where I love the ruse they pull, but like maybe lead us on a little bit for longer or something like that. Yeah. Or even to see like the current future and a possible future, like all kind of like we're not sure what's going on. They're through the transwarp conduit. They're going through all of this. And you're like, what's going on? Yeah, or show us the bad ending. It's a time travel episode, right? Give us the uh, give us the preview of what happens if they fail. Or and I just thought of this as we were talking. If you're going to spend all of that time with Seven and Chakotay being in love, then that those two should have somehow had to have sacrificed themselves 
at the mm. end to get everybody else home. And then you're like, ah, that's why we spent all of that time with it. Yeah, give them yeah, give a reason for the or, gross romance. Or give them some agency in it, in it, other than being people who are dead. And so we're going to do it different so they don't be dead. But again, yeah. as far as like series endings go, I mean, this one, for the most it's part, not bad. Lands, sticks to the landing. Yeah, wraps everything else up nicely. It's great. It's interesting, and it has a lot of the, the issues I have with Voyager in it. So it's like, it is it is a very appropriate ending. And it's fun. I don't fun. know if it's top-rated episode for the whole series, but... Uh, I think there's... I, I remember there being way better Voyager episodes, but... I think the fight, writing-wise, is better than this. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, I mentioned smooching, and I wanted to... I told Jeff this while we were watching it, but when I was a kid, and we'd be watching TV... Every time they would start kissing on screen, my dad would go, ooh, smoochas, ooh, and it just made me so uncomfortable. Because even when I... You think he was trying to relieve the tension or create more tension? Who knows? He's he's just transferring the tension from himself to to everyone else in the room. But my two favorite episodes of Voyager... Jeffrey, can you check the goromatic or the radomatics? It, I sure can. It is the um, the year of hell. I love that episode. That is my absolute favorite episode. That and the Q and the Gray. I love those are my two favorite Voyager episodes. So year of hell part one is an eight point zero. What was the next one? I'm, I'm sorry. And the Q and the Gray is seven point six. <clears throat> the other thing I didn't like Tuvok. Also, I didn't like. The I'm going insane Tuvok business either. Yeah. And they never really kind of tie that in. Like, what's he's trying to figure out? Like, they never really kind of get into that. Like, it's kind of implying that he knows something is wrong. Yeah, and it never comes back to it. it, it but it never, it's, it's never like, oh, this is where they're going. Or this is what's going to happen. And, you know. It's... I didn't like it either because it happened in both episodes that we yeah. watched. <laughs> oh my god you know what you're absolutely right someone going someone having like some kind of breakdown you want to stay with us for Strange. the the our little roundup tony oh oh my god absolutely I'll, I'll be quiet now i've talked a lot i'm sorry no great no no, jump no in. we loved it this was yeah. great this is a lot of fun so we'll do the roundup yeah Yeah, great. Where's it streaming? Paramount Plus. And you can pick it up to purchase it from, you know, the multitude of other places like Amazon and uh, Apple and whatnot. Yeah, it was annoying. You'll, you might see that it is streaming elsewhere, but that's not true. Or they're like Amazon will offer you a Paramount Plus subscription through their yeah, storefront. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It is only on Paramount. They've locked up Star Trek. What I came to fear about streaming services or what I, not what I feared, what I knew would happen. Oh, God, they talked on NPR today about uh, bundling streaming services. Uh, yeah, I don't like the idea of that. Isn't that disabled? Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, we do have toys. We have a ton of toys. Tony, do you have any of these toys? Oh, the Star Trek toys? Yeah, well, Voyager specific. Oh, I have, my, I, have an, I have all of the action figures. The Playmates ones? Yes. Yeah, there was a 1995-96 Playmates release, essentially, of all the the primary characters from the series. Wow. Tony, do you have a species 8472? Oh, I would love that. I do not have that. Oh, man. I see one in a picture here. Do you have any of the ships? Because that uh, ship, the Voyager itself, is fantastic from Playmates. 
It looks great. I don't. I just have the action figures. But even even the ship. If we if we go back just for a second, like that ship was supposed to be so futuristic, and it had like the um, like the organic packs and all of that stuff. Yeah. All of that after the ship caught a cold, they forgot all about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Playmates released only two ships, which is a little unusual for the Star Trek series, but. Uh... We got the. Um, it's pretty much just the the two from the pilot, right? The the marquee and the Voyager, the USS Voyager model. Uh, what I really want to talk about though are these ceramic figure mugs. Yeah, did you get a picture to Tony? Oh, I should. Uh, There's a Neelix oh, mug on here that you're gonna hate. Well, you just said the word Neelix. I hate it already. Oh no! I'm gonna wait, send you an email right now. So you can wait see until you see this about thing. The... Oh, is this gonna be awful? Yes. And I love the, the Janeway with the uh, the first season bun. They did some Hallmark keepsake ornaments as well from 96 to 2002, which I absolutely love. I always love these. I had a few Star Wars ones, and I remember we had a Borg cube that somebody gave to my father for Christmas, and I'm sure it's nowhere to be found anymore. Oh, so your love of Star Trek. I mean, after all of these years that we've been together, I never really so love of Star Trek. You get it honest. Yeah, so my dad, uh, he was a big Generation fan, and he used to watch it at night, and we would just kind of catch bits and pieces of it. And then the one I remember him watching the most was Voyager. But uh, yeah, so Star Trek comes from my father, and Star Wars comes from my mother. Oh, you were raised right. Let me see this. Oh, my God. God, I just hate that Neelix. God, what a waste. Did you see the mug? I'm going down. This is what's making me... Oh, dear <laughs> he got there. there I knew he go. didn't get there yet. <laughs> uh, it's just it's so spotty. Um, oh god. And if in the the description it says Applause Inc releases several highly detailed ceramic mugs. <laughs> my my favorite part about this is at the end it's like, while some may choose to drink their coffee out of a giant actor's head, these were really meant for display purposes. <laughs> <laughs> They probably give you lead like that um, Garfield uh, glass. Oh, yeah, all those Pizza Hut glasses that are painted with lead. Yep. Now, Neelix looks like the character in the Goonies. Sloth. Sloth, that's it. But a less attractive sloth. Yeah. It's almost like Jason Uh, Voorhees without the mask. Yeah, but sloth is lovable. Yeah, Neelix, ugh. So I watched the pilot, and Neelix is so reasonably fine in that pilot. They used him as a joke character. Yeah, and and I guess they thought the show was going to be a lot darker. Yeah. Um, he's conniving and strange and charming, uh, in a way that he isn't once he becomes a chef. Well, I mean, l- let's also talk the fact that he was involved with a what a two year old or a three year old because you know <laughs> yeah, he's like, only li- living. He's my two year old girlfriend. Yeah, I mean that's not creepy at all. <laughs> oh man. Oh my god, I forgot about that yeah. plot line. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that guy. Yeah, it's just like Dateline NBC in space. That's what it is. So fun facts. Ned, you got any fun facts? And then we're going to let Tony give us some off-the-cuff two fun facts for this series. Okay, great. I I think uh, my fun fact was that Robert Beltran really, really hated being on this show. The thing I saw was that he, he wasn't even a Star Trek fan to begin with. And I guess he's had like such a bad time that it's... And maybe he's softened in the years since, but there, this was like right after the show wrapped. And uh, someone asked him about watching Star Trek, and he's like, are you kidding? He's like, stupid costumes, riding around in spaceships. 
It's for babies. Does he do autographs, Tony? Yeah, he's just starting to come around. Money talks. Oh, okay. Yeah, money talks. Yeah, it seems like it seems like he, and you also need some distance. You should see if you can find pictures of him, like um, on like social media. I I do like all like the um, Star Trek convention pictures, and people will post their pictures with him. He just looks as bullshit as can be. Like, let's just get this picture over with. <laughs> yeah, I I understand that he actually uh, was something of a terror on set, and Kate Mulgrew got pretty mad at him a couple times because he would just he'd break. He'd he'd be like, ah, oh, who cares? Like he he's just unprofessional in many ways and i and i understand that he may have actually been trying to get himself written off and killed off the show he was so miserable that he was like i'm gonna complain and see how long it takes him to finally write me off this thing and break my contract and they never did well you get to kiss jerry ryan so not so bad yeah so give us two off the cuff facts fun facts for star trek voyager all right so tom paris uh robert Duncan Neal, right? Duncan Neal? Yes. Uh, Neil Duncan. Duncan McNeil. Yes, there we go. Sorry. Told this wonderful story. He was just like, I guess Kate Mulgrew at a time stopped smoking. Like she smoked like a chimney. So that's why the voice. Always she has to with, yeah, that, with voice. that voice. <laughs> yes. It was always like this. So I guess a couple seasons in, she stopped. And one day, I guess she came back to the set and our voice was a little like this. And everyone was like, oh, Kate, you're like, you, you stopped smoking. Yes, yes, I did. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if it was for a movie role or something of the sort. And then, like, the next season after their break, they came in and she was back like this. And they're like, are you smoking again, Kate? She's like, fuck, yeah, I am. Atta <laughs> girl. Atta girl, Kate. And I guess um, Garrett Wong also says that it was a very tense set where he was trying to, I guess, kind of not make it like a family because once someone says their job is a family, that's indication it's a toxic place. But like Red flag, red like, flag. Like, you know, like we have to work together, so like we should try to get along. But they were very much like, I'm going to say my lines, I'm going to go, and blah, blah, blah. But that was all led by Kate Mulgrew. She's like, I'm here to do a job. Like, we're friendly for everybody. Like, we're cool. And now it's time to go. And it got even worse when Jerry Ryan set up. Mm. But see, I gave I gave all my factoids during the thing too. Oh, no, you're man, fine. Like, you did these great. were bottom of the barrel ones for me. We'll have to remember that for the next one. Well, you'll have to save some good fun facts for the end. It's hard sometimes to to not lay it all out there. So now we do new feelings, and I have a feeling that you don't have any new feelings for Star Trek. It's the world you live in. Is it is Star the Trek. world that I live in? Yes. <laughs> so Ned, if you want to go first. These two episodes didn't really do it for me. I liked the fight. The two-hour finale reminded me. I was like, yep, this is why I fell off of Voyager after about season three somewhere. But the the fight was... I was like, this is a good Star Trek episode. I'll 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 give the whole thing another try uh, to see how it's going. And then I watched the, the pilot recently, and it's solid. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't think I'm going to come away from it uh, the way I came away from re- watching Deep Space Nine all the way through for the first time, but... I may actually go back and watch some of these, but I have some trepidation just because uh, of the the few fond memories that I have for the series that I don't want to ruin them like all the other nonsense that gets ruined with pop culture. Yeah. Where we overuse every tiny little thing. But from what we watched, I mean, I it's kind of what I remember. Uh, I enjoyed the fight, especially the story. There are a lot of great episodes. 
yeah and you know i mean we're basing it off of two well three episodes here but two two episodes normally no no new real feelings i i still have the nostalgia and it it's calling to me a little bit to go back and watch it oh but i okay here's what i love most about star trek i i can tell you this i don't know i think this is like a takeaway what i always loved it's not like i grew up in a in a house of chaos or anything of the sort um but what I love about the whole Star Trek universe is the procedure. Everybody knows what's expected of them. There is a chain of command and it is followed. That brings me comfort. Yeah, that's one of the things I really like about it's a lot of little stuff in Next Generation where like there's Picard has his feet up and someone rings the the bell to come in and he puts his feet down and he tucks down his shirt and then he and he sits imperially and he says, Come. Yep. They know each other well, but it's very clear in Next Generation that there is a chain of command. It's a little more woogity, I think, in here in Deep Space Nine. And I think they never really got back to that uh, the way they did in Next Generation. That's one of the things I really like about going back to it. Oh, there was never a question of who was in charge. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's part of my issue with this Star Trek Discovery in particular. Like, yeah. you know, let, let's start off the show, the series, with a mutiny on the ship. She should have been shot dead. Or at the very least, put in the brig, and then we wouldn't have had a discovery to have to suffer through. The show that I hate <laughs> watch religiously. I tried that one. I couldn't do it. I, I swore off prequels after the Star Wars prequels. You can rate it with us. You want to go first? What's your Star Trek Voyager rating? And out to of be 15. Fair, out of 15. And to be fair, you're coming back for every time we cover a Star Trek. Oh. Oh, hell yeah. I would give, out of 15, I would give the entire series... Or, or just the ones that we watched, or the entire series. You're rating Voyager as a whole, as of from like, watching those three episodes. But you ha- you can use your special knowledge of the actual. You can, show. yes. <laughs> All right. In this rating. So as a series, as a whole, I would give Voyager a thirteen point two five. I would, uh, but as these three episodes, I'd give it an eight. All right. Harsh. Oh, that was really harsh. No, that's good. No, that's appropriately harsh. Because I think I'm maybe pretty harsh. <laughs> I'm still going back and forth. I've typed like f- four numbers in here already. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. You do yours. Um. All right. Usually you go first, so you're putting me on the spot. I think I'm going to go... I, I originally put these kind of high, and I, I kept thinking about my... I'm pulling into the nostalgia for this. So if I am just thinking about the episodes and how I really want to feel based off of that, I think I'm going to give it a nine. Reason. All right. I'm a, the, the decider for me is that I think I prefer Nightman to this. Oh God. Oh, God. <laughs> God <laughs> but it's, but it's clearly, I gave diagnosis murder a 7.5 and this, and this exists in the same kind of places. Diagnosis murder for me is a show that was sometimes charming, sometimes good, but ultimately was a Wednesday night watch with my parents Come on, thing. And Dyke, come on, you, you, you needed to give that higher. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you'll find out when we post the episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, That's yeah, a- but, but 8.5, because I think, I, I mean, I found Nightman incredibly charming, and it's in subpar art. I love Nightman. I wish I could give it a higher grade now. But anyway, 8.5 for Star Trek Voyager. And is it uh, nastier than Wolf Bronski? Ain't nothing nastier than Wolf Bronski. I believe it. Neelix is. Oh, what? 
So we're going to do a yes, no again, huh? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah, Neelix with his two-year-old girlfriend and making alien worm spaghetti or something. That's Don't care for it. Don't care for it. Anything uh, you might like to plug on the way out, Tony? Yeah. You got anything? Um, no, no, I don't. But you can um, make your contributions to the almost Dr. Tony uh, <laughs> directly to me. Get in touch with okay. Ned and Jeff. They'll, they'll give me the money. Great. Plug, yeah, plug yourself. No. All no, right. Well, that's the no, episode. No plugs. I'm sorry. I wish I had something to plug, but I don't. But, boys, I'm going to tell you this. Now, for, for those of you listening, there once was a time where I was both Jeffrey and Ned's teacher. Not in the 90s, but... Not far from it. Not far from it. Yeah, it was. And it's, it was... Uh, would, that, would that have been 04? 03? Or 05? Um, they bleed uh, together. Ned, were you there in three oh three? No, no, we both started in 04. I could have been. I could have been. I I auditioned for the cadets and then didn't make it. And then they didn't tell me what about this one that's here too. Uh, so I just went and marched with the Kiwanis Cavaliers. You marched Which, the Kiwanis Cavaliers. It was a great <laughs> that that hey that was you know what best year drum corps for me. Man, we had so many free days. They. We had some pretty good teachers, but they knew we knew how good we were. And so they were like, we're just going to go to the mall today. And the food was great. We got to go to Canada. It was a blast. I now and Ed, I did. It was also like $700 for the season. Oh, there you go. It was it was incredible. Yeah, cuz cuz Jeffrey, we were together what? You when did you age out? 8. Took 07 off, which was smart. Yeah. So, because uh, uh, Ned was there for four, five, six, but only half a six. Only half a six. I okay. I do remember that little kerfuffle. That was a nightmare. Yeah, because I was there in six. Okay, that's where that's where it was. I thought. Okay, no, I thought it was five for you. Okay. Yeah, so that was six. So I do remember that little kerfuffle. We won't talk about it. It was a little kerfuffle. It was the the two weeks without laundry that really pushed my button all the way in. Yeah, well, there there was a lot going on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let me do the... Just so we have this all together into the end, let, we yes. can do the next episode plug uh, yeah. section. Yeah. Oh. Actually, we can't because we don't know what we're doing. We, haven't, we haven't picked it. Uh, all right, we'll just record that when we do the next set, and we'll put it at the end. Okay. And the next episode, it's Smart Guy. Um, well, gentlemen, this has been an absolute delight yeah it's been great thanks for joining us oh my god yeah, this is one so much uh i thought we would talk for less but this has been great how do you want us to uh introduce you tony your lord and savior okay no oh my god no <laughs> <laughs> we will <laughs> yeah don't you dare just me it's just me